Dear congregation, let us turn in God's holy word to Hebrews chapter 11. Find it on page 1381 in your pew Bible, 1381. Hebrews chapter 11, we'll read the first 22 verses. Let us hear the word of the Lord. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For for before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he dwelt in the land of promise, as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims, On the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. And truly, if they had called to mind that country from which they had come out, they would have had opportunity to return. But now they desire a better, that is, a heavenly country. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham. When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it is said, In Isaac your seed shall be called, concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, 
when he was dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. May he also bless the exposition of it. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, as we continue our series of sermons through Hebrews, we remember that we have looked at Hebrews chapter 11, 1 through 3, and, and saw really in a summary of what true saving faith is, what it is to believe to the saving of the soul. <clears throat> we have analyzed and looked at the illustrations of faith of those who were of ancient times before the flood. We think of Abel and Enoch and Noah and how they worshipped God and walked with God and worked by the grace of God. And so, by faith, we can learn from Abel, Enoch, and Noah. And it would be no surprise to us to hear that Abraham is also in this cloud of witnesses of faith. And indeed, he ought to be expected, for Abraham was the fountainhead, as it were, of a nation. He was really who the people who the author of Hebrews is writing to would call their father. And so indeed he would commend to the Hebrews Abraham. Even as Moses commended him for his faith in Genesis, where we find that in Genesis 15 that he believed and it was counted unto him as righteousness. But he is not only the fountainhead of a nation, but rather also of all those who would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we read in Romans 4 verse 11 that he's the father of all who believe. And so we can all learn from the life of Abraham as a witness in this cloud of witnesses of faith. And we can learn that indeed embracing Christ is is really to live as Abraham lived. If you think about John chapter 8, Jesus is saying in John chapter 8 that Abraham saw his day and he rejoiced in it. That is, the Lord Jesus Christ's day. He saw Him in the future. He saw Him by faith. And He rejoiced in Him. And He tells even those who were His contemporaries, the Jews at the time of Jesus, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing what Abraham did. You would be believing in Me. And indeed, we could look at Abraham as an illustration of faith for many weeks. And yet, at the same time, we recognize that we know the historical account of Abraham quite well. And we also recently had a series of sermons on the life of Abraham from Brother Pennings. So I'm going to condense it down to, try to condense it, keep it condensed into one sermon. 
And we're going to see that saving faith is illustrated by the patriarchs here, namely Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we recognize that it is living in the promises of God. And what does that mean, first of all, to live in the promises of God? Well, a life of faith is indeed living in the promises of God because the promises, we remember, are not the fulfillment. And so when you have faith, you have not yet received the fulfillment. And as we remember from the first few verses of uh, Hebrews 11, that it is the substance of things hoped for. You don't yet have the fulfillment of those things, and yet it is the substance of it. It's like doing a business deal in good faith. You have the hope for the final reward of that contract, and yet as you go forth in faith, you still don't have that final payment, as it were. And so, living in faith, living in the promises of God, is living under the promises of God, knowing that you are not yet a possessor of the final fulfillment of these promises. And so, as you envision this, you think about the Old Testament. They lived much closer by faith than than even what we do in the New Testament, because in the Old Testament, they had to rely solely on the promises of God and, and really didn't have as much of a record of His past faithfulness as what we do in the New Testament. Now, in the New Testament, we have a fulfillment or even partial fulfillments of Old Testament promises, and we can see and attest to the faithfulness of God. So it ought to be even be easier for us to believe in the New Testament. And yet, we don't have the final fulfillment of all of the promises of the Old and New Testament. Because in the consummation of history, on the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, all of the promises of God will come to fulfillment and we will see perfectly. No more need of having evidence of things unseen because we will see it. No more hoping for the substance because we will be in full light and possession of it. But today, we live whether in the Old Testament Abraham's time or us today, we live as believers in the promises of God. And so, our theme will be saving faith illustrated by the patriarchs living in the promises of God. And first of all, we see that living in the promises of God include obeying God's call. And secondly, looking to a promised future. First of all then, living in the promises of God by obeying God's call. Hebrews 11 verse 8 we read, by faith Abraham obeyed. He obeyed when he was called to go out to a place which he would receive as an inheritance. And he went out in obedience not knowing where he was going. And we know, don't we, from Genesis chapter 12 that Abraham was called out of Ur of the Chaldees. 
But what we do also recognize in that call of God to Abraham, that faith is acting in response to God's call. It doesn't act outside of God's call. Abraham obeyed when he was called. And so, ultimately, we see that God here is the one who takes the initiative. He called Abraham out of his free and sovereign grace. Because Abraham was no saint in Ur of the Chaldees. Abraham, like all others in Ur of the Chaldees, was a pagan idol worshiper. He was not asking God, what should I do with my life? Where should I go and how could I best serve you? No, not at all. God came into Ur of the Chaldees and sought Abram out and Abram's faith was preceded by God's call. A call that came from grace and through grace alone and was received by faith alone. Abraham's life of faith began when God revealed Himself to Abraham. Genesis 12 doesn't tell us exactly how God had revealed Himself to Abraham. It doesn't say that He came in some kind of dream or in a, in a vision or, or anything like that. It, but yet, it had to have been some kind of divine visitation and revelation from God because God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. This is before the first book of the Bible was written. This is before Genesis was written. Abraham is called out of Ur of the Chaldees. And the activity of Abraham's faith continued when he obeyed and surrendered to the call of God. Notice, notice how Abraham completely surrendered to God here in obedience. Verse 8, we read that he was called to go out to the place which he would receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he's going. He didn't have a plan. He didn't have five-year goals. He didn't have ten-year goals. He didn't even know where he was going. Imagine Abram coming home. Sarai, we're going to pack up and we're going to move. Imagine you doing that, husbands. But why? Why are we going to move? It's comfortable here in Ur of the Chaldees. We have our family here. We have our friends here. We have our work here. Well, let's not forget about Sarai. I took extraordinary faith as well. To follow Abraham's calling and to be called with him and even to call Abraham her Lord, even in the midst of all of his failures as they get into Egypt and, and everywhere else, Sarai still follows Abraham in obedience. Abraham and Sarah hearken to the call of God. They hear God's call. And even at the cost of 
everything in their life and in the midst of all kinds of perplexities and challenging circumstances, they obediently follow God's call. Could you imagine the the questions that family and friends would have been asking him? Where are you moving to, Abraham? Abraham, this is foolishness. You don't even know where you're going. How are you going to provide for your family? And yet faith, it makes a decisive action as it follows God's command in obedience. Arthur Pink wrote, Obedience is faith's daughter. Living in the promises of God is to obey God and His call. Now, I'm not suggesting as we apply this to our own lives to moralize or spiritualize this account in any way. And to say that God is calling us to pack up and to move to some kind of remote promised land. And yet there is a clear application for each one of us from this account of faith. And the application is this. Is that God calls us by His Word and through His Word and in times past, as we read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, God did send His Word in various forms, in various ways. But today He has sent it and speaks through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the written Word. And so God calls us in His Word to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the message of Jesus was and is? Doesn't He call us to take up our cross and follow Him? Dear congregation, I don't know of a more radical move that you could make in all of your life than to do that. To repent from your old sins just as Abraham repented and turned away from the pagan worship, the idol worship. And to follow God's call. And to to believe in God. And to trust Him and submit to Him as you take up your cross and you follow Him, that is a radical move. And when people ask you when you're packing up and moving spiritually, and they ask you, why are you leaving? We have such a good life together. Won't you miss all of these pleasures of this world? Won't you miss the pleasures of sin. You have an answer. I have a God who I have met and whom I must obey. When they ask you, why are you throwing your life away to follow God's call for you to serve Him? You can say, I have met God. He has called me and I must obey. They ask you, why do you take every word of the Bible so seriously? 
Why don't you just do what's popular instead? And you can say, I have met God and He has called me. I must obey. That's living under the promises of God. Because God hasn't promised us necessarily an easy life here below. But He has promised that He will be with us in it as we live under His promises in obedience. And that's what Abraham had to do too. Abraham's faith is is also in this promised land. He obediently goes out and follows this call. Notice in verse 9, by faith he dwelt in the land of promise. He dwelt in this land of promise. He dwelt in his inheritance. And you could almost imagine if he just received this inheritance in this promised land, then everything would just be honky-dory for Brother Abraham. Right? But notice what our text says. He dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country. He dwelt in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. Now, Abram wasn't a poor man that he couldn't afford a house. He had a lot of wealth. And yet he dwelt there in a foreign country, dwelling in tents. He could have chosen where he would live. What city he would live. But he obeyed God's call. And he persevered in this land of promise, living as in a foreign country. You know, it's one thing to obey God's call and to start out well with lots of zeal and passion and love for God and a desire to to follow Him. But it's much harder to live that life over a period of time, especially when you're met with all kinds of challenges and difficult circumstances. And yet through it, Abraham persevered by believing God's promise by the grace of God. Not because Abraham was so good. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. You can read Genesis 12 uh, following and find that Abraham was far from obedient in all ways. Abraham's greatest problem is he wanted to help God accomplish what God had promised. Even if it meant sinning and compromising to do so. And we can only conclude from the account of Genesis that that led Abraham to even greater problems. However, let's not underestimate the difficulty for Abraham. When Abraham came into the land of promise, he found that it was already established by the Canaanites. Another idolatrous people. Why wouldn't you just leave me in Ur of the Chaldees, Lord? Would be a question in my mind as well. And as he lived there by faith, he didn't live in the luxury of a city. He didn't live in the luxury of the land. No, he lived as a foreigner of the land. He lived as a sojourner. He lived as a resident alien, as it were. The very land that God had promised would be his own. 
When I don't see the fulfillment of promises, I begin to doubt. Maybe you do too. It takes real faith, persevering faith, and the grace of God to persevere in that faith when we don't, with our own eyes, see the fulfillment of promise. You can imagine, Abraham, even to the day that he buried Sarah, had to go to the Canaanites to buy the land that he inherited. Wouldn't that make you a little bit irritated? This is a land that God has promised, and I still have to go and buy land to bury my own wife in the land that God has given me. Yet Abraham persevered in faith, living as a soldier in a foreign country. But really, isn't that for us as Christians very similar? First Peter 1, Peter writes to pilgrims who are scattered. Strangers in this world. Being a pilgrim and a stranger means that we are not in love with this world. And yet we have the promise of God as we find in Psalm 37 that the meek shall inherit the earth. Right? So how do we make that? When we see all of the challenges of this world, we by faith look past because we are pilgrims and sojourners here in this world. There are friends of this world And the friends of this world are strangers of heaven. Let that sink in. The friends of this world are strangers in heaven. And strangers of this world are friends in heaven. What does it mean to be a friend of this world or a stranger of this world? There's one word that I can think of that sums it all up. Ecclesia. Ecclesia. You say, what does that mean, Pastor? That means church. I'm not talking about a church building. I'm not talking about whether you make confession of faith in a particular church or have all of the right credentials or anything like that. I'm talking about the real definition of church. What is the real definition of church? The real definition of church is this. Those who are called out. Let that sink in. Those who are called out 
Out of where? Out of this world. To be strangers of this world and to be pilgrims on the way to heaven. Are you church? Are you Abraham following the call of God to be called out of this world to be church? Set apart by God in this world to be the elect of God, to be sanctified by God. That means to be set apart. And the clear message to us today, and it's an important message to us today, is that to be called out from this world is to means do not be in love with this present world. Don't be in love with the pleasures and the pomp and the pride of this world. Don't sell your soul to that which is perishing. But submit to God's call to be church. To live as pilgrims and strangers in this world. And that doesn't mean, again, go move somewhere in the mountains where you're isolated. But it does mean that in all your engagements in this world, you will be different. You will be different than the world. And the world will hate you for it. Because that's what living under the promises of God is all about. Jesus says, the world will hate you. The world will persecute you. That's the promises of God. He has never promised an easy life in this world, just as He didn't promise Abraham an easy life in Canaan. But He has promised that He will never leave us and He will never forsake us. God will cherish you and bless you even when the world despises you. And you can trust in Him. He's called out to a land of inheritance, of promise. Secondly, we see that He not only had the promise of a land, but we also know from Genesis 12 and 15 and 17 that there was also this promised seed that the Lord would make him a great nation. And he, here he is, childless. But we read in verse 11, By faith Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed, and she bore a child when she was past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky in multitude, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. By faith, Sarah. You can't separate Abraham from Sarah no more than you could separate Sarah from Abraham in the verses that preceded. And maybe I can just make a side note on this. Young men, young women, when you're looking for a partner in life, never forget this. That you want a partner who loves the Lord Jesus Christ, who has faith in God, 
I won't necessarily mean that you'll have a perfect marriage. Abraham and Sarah didn't have a perfect marriage either. But it will be far more delightful, far more rewarding. And despite even, and in spite of all of the failures of Abraham and Sarah, they trusted in God's promised seed. That seed that would come forth from the promised nation of Abraham even. In Genesis 17, Abraham is not just called Abraham for any reason. His name was changed there from Abram to Abraham. But he will be a father of nation. Of many people. Not just one son, but many sons. And this is this is what's so extraordinary about it is Abraham and Sarah, we know, were not a young couple anymore. They were an old couple. Hebrews 11 says Abram was, <laughs> he was half dead. He was as good as dead. Sarah was past the age of childbearing. She'd passed menopause away. And just like anyone else might laugh when you would say, you know, this this 90-year-old, 99-year-old man's going to have a child or this very old woman's going to have, 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 a, have a child, you might, you might laugh at it. And so Sarah also laughed. And Abraham laughed. And Isaac, this very name means laughter. And yet, they believed that God could open the womb, that she would conceive a child even when she's past the age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. And they receive a son, Isaac, laughter. And then Abraham, who's well over a hundred years old, is now tested in verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Concluding that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. There in Genesis chapter 22, we know again the story well as Abraham was called by God to offer up Isaac. And there they go to Mount Moriah, and there, as they go up, Isaac's like, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide the sacrifice. And they get to the top of the mountain, and Isaac is bound upon the altar. And there, as the knife is raised, and Abraham is going to slay his only begotten son, God stops him and calls him, Abraham, stop! And he looks. And there's a ram caught in the thicket. And God calls him to offer up that ram instead of Isaac. God provides. Even in his test, Abraham perseveres in faith, obedient to God. When humanly speaking, it would mean that this was devastating. This was the end of the fulfillment of God's promises. And yet, God had such a high place in Abraham's faith and in his life 
that he believed that God would be faithful to his word and his promises. And ultimately, God was. Ultimately, God stopped Abraham, yes, and provided a ram. But if you look in the distance to God's ultimate provision of his only begotten son, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who would come out of Abraham's loins, the one who Abraham saw in his day and rejoiced, the one whom God has given to satisfy his wrath against our sin. He gave his only begotten son. And even as Abraham believed and concluded that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, God also raised his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to be a savior of sinners. Sinners such as Abraham. Sinners such as you and me. And so faith is a response to God's calling to believe His Son. God's provision. And Abraham had a whole lot less revelation than you and I have. We have the Old Testament. We have the New Testament. And we have all of the promises and the fulfillment of many of those promises. And even though the Gospel accounts are filled with impossibilities that were made possible with God, the world would call it foolishness. But to those who believe, it is the power of God unto salvation. For they believe in the seed, the Lord Jesus Christ. And they trust God's faithfulness. Notice in verse 13, they all died in faith. They trusted in God's faithfulness even to death, not receiving the substance of those promises. Notice verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob concerning things to come. They had complete trust in God's faithfulness. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning on the top of his staff. There in Egypt, outside of the land of promise, there he blessed each of the sons of Joseph and worshipped, submitted to God, as he leaned upon his staff as an old man. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instruction concerning his bones. He made preparation that his bones would be brought to the promised land, the land of promise. How could they live in faith and by faith in the promises of God? Well, they trusted in a seed that has not arrived and yet trusted God's faithfulness despite circumstances that appeared contrary to those promises. As we want to see in our last point, 
that living in the promises of God, not only following the call of God, but also looking for a promised future. Notice the futuristic aspect of faith that we find in Hebrews 11, verses 8 through 30, 22. We noticed how Abraham looked for a city to come, a country to come. They died in faith looking forward to a homeland that would be there on the other end. They blessed concerning things to come. It's all things in the future, and that's what faith is. It's evidence of things not seen. And when we looked at that in the first three verses of chapter 11, we recognized that instrument of faith was like a microscope seeing things that were very small that you can't see with your naked eye, or like a telescope seeing things in the distance that you can't see with your naked eye. But imagine faith being this, in light of that. Imagine being able to see ahead in time. That's what faith really does. It sees ahead in time, and and there Abraham saw a heavenly country. He saw a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God. Imagine again Abraham looking out his tent flaps at the cities of Canaan, all the comforts, all the pleasures. It was far too much for Lot to turn down, but Abraham could look past and waited for a city who has foundations in God, whose builder and maker is God. You see, You see the comparison here, don't you? Abraham lived in a tent. He had no foundation. The the cities of Canaan, they had earthly foundations. But the city to come, it has an eternal foundation that will never pass away. And that's the eternal perspective that we all need living in this world. Is looking to that promised future. That promised future. You see, for a Christian, we're willing to forsake the glory and the comfort and the satisfaction of this present world because we look to a future glory that is in the Lord Jesus Christ. In this world, we talk about the instant gratification of our society and we say, we got to buy it now and we'll worry about paying for it later because we have to have it now. That's the attitude. But for a Christian, we actually pay for it now and we receive it later. That's what a Christian does. It's just the opposite. We pay for it now and we receive it later. And that's not only for Abraham. It's also for Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. All these who died in faith, not receiving the promises, seeing them afar off, they're assured of them, as they confess that they're strangers and pilgrims in this world, on this earth, but they declare plainly that they seek a homeland, a heavenly country, a better country. And therefore, we read, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. 
living in God's promises is seeing faith as a pilgrimage that comes to the end of one's life and comes into full sight of that homeland, the heavenly country. It's not focused on this earth and this present life, but that which is above. And wonder Paul writes to the Colossians, set your mind on things which are above and not on things that are on earth. That is the better country. And what a great reward. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. We do well to meditate on two things. First of all, the swift destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Say that's not in our text. It's in Genesis. It's in the account of Abraham. Abraham and Lot divided up the country. They had. Lot chose Sodom and Gomorrah. We see the swift destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah and God's judgment. Let not that be our decision. But rather, consider that homeland, that heavenly country, that city whose foundations are in God, whose builder and maker is God. And read Revelation 21 and 22. And allow yourself by the Spirit to be taken up with John on that high mountain to see Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven. And to be shining with the glory of God and and to shine like a diamond and a crystal would shine in radiance and glory. A city where there's no night. A city where the Lamb is the light of it. A city that has a river and trees of life for nourishment. A city where there's no more tears, no more pain, no more sorrow. A city where God is in the midst of her. And not ashamed to dwell with her. Which city is your citizenship in? The earthly foundations will crumble, but the eternal foundations are secure. Oh, dear dear believer, look forward and live in the promise of that city as citizens of that city, as royal sons and daughters of that city, and submit to the king of that city. For he is the promised seed. Abraham saw his day and was glad. We have his day revealed to us in his word. And he gives us one last promise. He's coming again on the clouds of heaven to gather all his seed 
all those with the like faith of Abraham unto himself to be in that city. Abraham, in a certain sense, received all this stuff figuratively. But we have the Word of God. And we must believe the Word of God just as Abraham did. And trust in God's faithfulness just as Abraham did. And so we need to ask ourselves, what does God's Word say? Do we believe what God's Word says about Jesus? Do we believe what it says about salvation? Do we believe what it says about judgment? Do we believe what it says about the pleasures and the riches of this world? And are we laying up treasures in heaven? And are in obedience to God's Word? God has been faithful. He is faithful. And He will continue to be faithful. By faith, we too, like all of the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and his sons, can receive covenantal blessing from our God. Blessing from generation to generation. I know time is late but I want to point out one more promise that God gave to Abraham in conclusion. He told Abraham that he would make his name great. In Genesis 12, he said, I'm going to bring you to a land. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a seed because you're going to be many, uh, a father of many, father of a nation. And he says to him, and I will make your name great. And indeed he did. He becomes a father of a nation. The Bible testifies that he's a father of all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's in this list of the cloud of witnesses here in Hebrews 11. He not only made Abraham's name great, he made Isaac's name great, and Jacob's name great, and Joseph's name great, and Ephraim's name great, and Manasseh's name great. And it was all because the patriarchs believed God's Word with certainty. They believed and they obeyed. And therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. As a matter of fact, when God comes to Moses, He says, I am, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. God is not ashamed to be called their God. And He has prepared a city for them. There isn't any higher tribute that could be paid to any person, any image bearer of God, than to have God proudly claim that whoever trusts in Him, they can insert their name in that divine proclamation. I am the God of. You put your name in the blank. And isn't that true when you look at Revelation 22, verse 5? 
On that day, we shall see his face, and his name shall be on our foreheads. He's not ashamed to be called our God. I leave you with one illustration. There was a pioneer ministry missionary named Henry Morrison. And he was returning to New York City after 40 years of service in Africa. That same boat also bore a wildly popular president, Theodore Roosevelt. And as they entered the New York Harbor, the president was greeted with a huge fanfare. Morrison had no one to meet him. He felt a bit dejected. After all, he spent four decades in service to God as a missionary in Africa. Maybe you and I would feel that way too. But then a small voice come into his mind. It says, Henry, Henry Morrison, you are not yet home. And that voice was perfectly right. For God had prepared a city that was far greater than the Big Apple of New York City for Henry Morrison. And God says, I am the God of Henry Morrison, and here, Henry, are the keys to my city, a city that has foundations in me, whose builder and maker is God. Will you and I hear these words? Well done, my good and faithful servant. You who have lived in the promises of God, welcome to your eternal home. For I am not ashamed to be called your God. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we give thanks for your word. We give thanks for the illustrations of faith that you have given us in your word. That cloud of witnesses that we are surrounded by, including Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph, but especially that faithful witness, your only begotten Son, the author and finisher, the perfecter of our faith. Oh, Lord Jesus, be pleased to go with us and grant us grace to live by faith. Even as we live in this world as pilgrims and strangers here below, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.